This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the forks of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that's very very proud to say that we've never just directly given the villain the macguffin all in the name of love <laughs> here you go just it's not even it. love though it's like lust it's too fast to be love it's way too fast to be love but they did i mean they, they, they hold hands they did do that and with so... fish that's like sex that's how the shape of water worked right uh, also directed by Guillermo del Toro. So many questions about Guillermo del Toro and fish sex. It's like he planted the seed with this movie of, want to be hot, fish fuck? <laughs> that sounds like a great insult. <laughs> Calling somebody a fish fuck, he's like, hey, fish that's fuck. a movie. <laughs> Best picture, here I come. It's like he happened across some fanfic for Hellboy, and he's like, I can make this a real movie, actually. <laughs> he stuck it to the fans. <laughs> oh, you didn't like the first one? Oh, well, look what I found on Reddit, or whatever 2008 Reddit was. I think it was still Reddit. This week, we are talking about Hellboy 2 from 2008, directed by the aforementioned Guillermo del fucking Toro. The Golden Army. That's right, the whole colon, the Golden Army. I always forget that part. Because they play such a small role in this. Just, you know, the end of time for humans. But it's like a threat that exists. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll we'll absolutely get get there. there. (laughs) Now, you've never seen this before. No, never. And give me your thoughts. I like this better than the first one. And where does that actually kind of put it then for you? Because if you like it better than the first one, but you, you thought the first one was shit, then you're just like, no, this is just okay. Or this is great. Or this is good. I didn't dislike the first one. This one, I thoroughly enjoyed. Okay, I'm in the same boat as you. It's very different than I remembered watching it in 2008. And it's weird I believe to that. think that I haven't seen this thing in 14 years, but I haven't. And 14, that's so long ago. Yeah, but there's things that I didn't even remember at all about it. And that's shocking because this movie is exhausting visually. It does so much all of the time. I don't even want to wait anymore. Let's just dive right into this thing because there's so much that happens, but also not. And that should be in every soundtrack for forever. (laughs) Forever. Like it should be by law. How They they used to have the haze code where you couldn't show the sex on screen. So you had to like get around it by showing people like buttoning up their shirts after a presumed sex scene. Of course. I feel like by law, you should have to be able to put that song in somewhere in your movie. The Dawson's Code. Exactly. And it's kind of like a Wilhelm scream. How people are like, I'm clever. I threw it in. It's like, no, you think you're clever? <laughs> hey, Dawson's did you guys creak me. Did you guys notice that Wilhelm scream? Yes, every time. Every single time. Yes. Ah! <laughs> Let's get into this movie. Yes, please. Douglas Army Base, New Mexico, Christmas 1955. There lives a young monster, Hellboy. And I say monster not because he's an actual demon, but because choices were made in regards to character design. Yes. If you look at this thing and don't have nightmares for forever, you're not a human being. This kid is ugly. He is terrifying. And I already have. I'm hitting you real fast, real early with the first IMDb trivia fact. Fire away, man. 
The young Hellboy was played by an adult, 36 years old in 2008, woman named Monse Ribe. What? <laughs> yep. I wasn't ready for that. I was half expecting to say, played by an adult named Andy Milanakis. <laughs> nope, this is a 36-year-old woman. Who plays... <laughs> grew up to be a Ron Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can only hope. It's, I don't know what bugs me the most about it. Is it the performance? Is it the voice that doesn't line up with the mouth? Is it the At teeth? At all. The giant teeth? the acting in general? I don't know. I really I don't, don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's disturbing. It really is. Hellboy requests a bedtime story from his father, Professor Brutenholm. That's right. Through the magic of flashbacks, John fucking Hurt has returned. And he looks like he should be reading, like, the Chronicles of Narnia to this kid and not reading literally the stakes for this movie that the kid is just going to somehow remember <laughs> much, 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 much later on. Nothing like a good Christmas bedtime story than, like, the apocalypse or the possibility <laughs> of it. The night Santa went crazy. Oh, such a good song. It really is. Not enough Weird Al on this podcast. No, no, there's not. And we could talk UHF one day. <sighs> well, that would be a lot <laughs> of fun. We probably should, but no, there's never enough Weird Al. Could always use more Al. So if you've ever seen a movie, you know what's coming next. A bedtime story that actually is a massive exposition dump. Long ago, there was a great CG puppet war between humans and uh, mystical beings. I guess so. And this was done in like that weird CG puppetry that was really, really popular yeah, in the mid-2000s. The Almost stop motion, but you can tell it's CG. Right. It was a definitely a stylistic choice. I don't know if it was because of limitations of the technology or not, or people just went, Alex, cool. Let's do that. I like it. I like the way it looks. King Balor, the one-armed leader of the magic elfin race, oversees the creation of a golden army. So these dwarves build 4,900 indestructible mechanic soldiers. But they won't say the number. They say it's 70 by 70. 70 times 70 soldiers just add it up does no one want to do the math but then we wouldn't get that cool seven symbolism i think i don't know that's true probably and there's so many like, sevens oh, in this movie. we're just gonna keep saying 70 by 70 because i'm not big on carrying the number it's just not gonna happen we never counted them but there's 70 rows of 70 of them and that math is not my forte <laughs> balor receives a crown that'll allow him or anyone with royal blood to command the army that anyone with royal blood part is important later. Sure. But the Golden Army was a little too good at their job, just attacking humans with no mercy, and so brutally that King Balor felt real guilty and invoked the well-known mercy rule for war. <laughs> After all the damage was done, he goes, you know, I think I've gone too far. I'm realizing in this moment that I might have killed all humans, and <laughs> maybe we call for a truce now. I think it's truce time. Definitely truce time. So the humans are allowed to control the cities, and Balor's elves would keep the forests and all the other mythical beings that were also with the elves. See, I don't know. I don't know what this alliance is of mystical creatures. No clue. As a peace offering, Balor separates his crown into three, and he gives one piece to the humans. So, you know, he can't just be like, all right, I changed my mind. I'm getting the army back together. Yeah, but it's kind of fucked also because he's like, oh, yeah, we gave one piece to the humans. And I'm waiting for him to say, like, and we gave one piece to the elves. Right. And then he's like, then we took two for ourselves. And we kept two of them. You know, uh, it's only fair we made the army. It's very true. Like, we kind of kept the crowny part. And we just gave them the key. So unless we have a weird Ghostbusters rooftop keymaster gatekeeper <laughs> scenario here, everyone's going to be just fine. Yeah. 
If anybody asks if you're a god, you say yes. Always say yes. Balor's son, Prince Nuada, was like, this is bullshit, and he goes into exile, vowing to return one day to command the Golden Army once more. Kit threw a hissy fit and just stormed off, going, ah, we were supposed to kill all humans. Like, you did that already. Yeah, but there's still like three or four left, and that's too many in my book. I, I, <laughs> I quit being an elf. Uh, can you just do that? I don't know. It's a bedtime story. I think you can do anything. That's fair. Cut to Manhattan, present day. There's an albino dude with long hair playing with swords in the subway. But, like, really playing with them. Like, jumping around and shadow boxing no one. Yeah. And it's kind of sad and pathetic, in a way. It's like a, is it a cooler version of Star Wars Kid or a lamer version of Star Wars Kid? I can't decide. I think it's a little bit cooler because he does look like Null from the comics. Okay, that's fair then. And now I'm I'm curious if the design for Null was ripped off from this movie. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> this long-haired albino dude is the aforementioned Prince Nuada, played by Luke Goss. And Luke Goss, I feel like, should have an accent or not. <laughs> yes, I agree. Either he should or he shouldn't. It's just strange, because whenever he talks, he just sounds like a normal dude. <laughs> and you're like, I feel like you're supposed to say something menacing. But I feel like you also need an accent to do that, or whisper, or act in general. Something, I can't something. figure you out. You're just like, Gary from down the street decided he's <laughs> going to kill all humans. Gary came out of his garage after he was done playing with his <laughs> broom handle or whatever he was doing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a replica lightsaber, actually. Did some push-ups, got on Atkins, got himself in shape, and then went out <laughs> bino as hell. Everybody's just happy to see him outside for once. <laughs> it's true. You've stopped listening to Cradle of Filth or whatever. Popped on out. And this is what happened. He and his buddy, Mr. Wink, are up to no good. Mr. Wink, of course, is like a giant creature that has horns coming out of his chin, played by Brian Steele. Sure. <laughs> it won't matter. He's just big and mean. Character development. Ah, he's like the enforcer for the albino guy. At a fancy schmancy auction, a piece of a crown is being auctioned as, as you do at auctions i guess <laughs> at a fancy pants auction they did the thing they they were exactly they were hot tub time machining the crown that's right <laughs> so prince nuada and mr wink show up and open up their mysterious carry-on luggage releasing some kind of horror on the one percenters we don't get to see what it is because we cut we don't but we find out they're really hungry they're, they're very hungry creatures. That's all we know. And then they're we have to just wait a long time. <laughs> because we're going to Trenton, New Jersey, the place where everybody wants to go. You see, I just like instinctively ducked when you said Trenton. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> That's Careful. how you know I'm from the state is you hear Trenton and you just instantly hit the deck just a little bit. <laughs> it's actually the perfect hiding place for the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense because who would want to go to there? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We'll hide it in plain sight, just a giant building in the middle of Trenton. Nailed it. <laughs> Agent Tom Manning, played by Jeffrey Tam Jeffrey fucking Tambor. Fine. I'll allow it. He's bitching to Abe Sapien, played by Doug fucking Jones. Yeah, he definitely earns it a few times over. Uh, definitely. For his acting, not for his character choices in this one. <laughs> right. We'll get there. He didn't write the script. He just performed it very that's, well. That's right. Someone else wrote down what his character is supposed to do. And then he did it. Yeah, and he did it well. <laughs> yes. So Agent Manning is bitching to Abe about Hellboy being the absolute worst at being covert. 
and I have what I think is a caped IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> I'm so curious. I submitted a bunch, so I have no clue it was approved. Oh, good. <laughs> it was one of those where I was just sitting there typing at the computer, not working, just going like, well, let's see what bullshit <laughs> feels like sticking on IMDb today. <laughs> Let, let's see what slips through. <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor got in trouble on set for telling production assistants working on the film that there was always money in his banana hammock. It's true. It's completely true. <laughs> and you know it's true because it's on IMDb. That's right. I also read that uh, he got called out for being a Scientologist. Oh. Uh, I think it was somewhere around the making of this movie where he, I think it was like 2007. How he said that he was a Scientologist, more or less. And then, like, all the weird reporting about Scientologists started coming out after that. And the next year he's just like no i actually just took some classes so uh, he canceled <laughs> scientology in his personal life faster than the world canceled him yeah that's impressive yeah so it's kind of like a land creep record or whatever something like that <laughs> you'd think if you could go back and edit your own personal history that you'd take some of that other stuff out of there you would do these actors know that they could edit wikipedia as well <laughs> do they not understand how it is like jeffrey tambor could be sitting there just throwing in the most bullshit stuff imaginable. yeah of like nope never did that no nah, no it wasn't me totally wasn't me what? i was never a terrible human being to Je jessica walter is that is that her name she actually liked him she did but she also had some problems with him yes professionally yes but now that she's dead and can't correct the wikipedia that he corrected, exactly. that could be like a weird thing of one of those like, oh, they're not here to speak for themselves. It's like, yeah, look at Jeffrey. He's going to start typing away. That all never happened. Wikipedia's like, what's your source? And he's like, I, I was am there. Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't argue with that. I have the time to do this now. Abe explains to Tom Manning that Hellboy's relationship with Liz Sherman is tense at the moment which may be causing his erratic behavior. And it's at that very moment that Hellboy is blasted through the hall by his pyrokinetic girlfriend, Liz. Hellboy, of course, played by Ron fucking Perlman, and Liz played by Selma fucking Blair. But uh, I'm hesitant to give the fuckings to either of them, actually. It's weird because I do think that Ron Perlman deserves it because he's got prosthetics on prosthetics on prosthetics. Yes. And he had to earn being in this movie. Whereas Selma Blair... Just had to show up and be Selma Blair. That's true. She kind of hung out. She's like, I'm going to have shorter hair in this one. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you need to be angsty. You called in the right person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm particularly good at angst. What other emotions are you good at? Have you said angst yet? Mm, I can do angst. I can also do uh, pregnant, but only like the... The seltzer flavor of pregnant, like shades of pregnant. <laughs> right. And and if you're lucky at the end, angsty pregnant. <laughs> you might get a glimmer of like happy angst. <laughs> if it's <possible>. Occasionally. <laughs> what would that even look like? We'll get there. Okay. It involves her holding up two fingers. That's a good point. <laughs> Followed by a freeze frame for reasons. We'll get there. You're right. The BPRD team is called to investigate the incident at the auction house. Manning bribes Hellboy with a couple of Cuban cigars to remain incognito. That's going to go great. It won't. At the auction house, Hellboy and company discover that there are no survivors. Abe finds a box marked with a royal seal that is means war, apparently. 
I he guess. Just, yeah. He just knows that. But then he whips out his book to figure out what the boxes might have contained. And it turns out that they are small winged creatures uh, that are known as tooth fairies. Right. And does he have a library boy? I don't know. Somebody's carrying around his books for him. <laughs> it's a guy. Oh, a library boy. Who has just a shelf on his back that Abe reached into. It's like, Abe. Booby, <laughs> introduce you to an iPhone. Yeah. It's 2008. It's a thing. I mean, it's only been a thing for a year, but it's a thing. It still counts. Well, I couldn't say like a Cybico. That wouldn't have nearly the same effect. <laughs> Let me pull it up in my Palm Pilot. <laughs> that would have dated this movie hard. It you know would what? have. I prefer the backpack of, of library. Library boy. Please close your game of snake so that I can look up this royal seal. <laughs> no, he knew the seal. He just didn't know what the tooth fairies were. That's true. I think the weird part about this also is how they're saying, oh, there's no survivors. Haven't you looked at the floor? It's like they're walking through jello for yeah. the most part of like dead bodies. Oh, I didn't even didn't even notice that I was walking walking through a jello commercial. I was waiting for <laughs> the song <laughs> i was waiting for cosby to show up it's the major hint theo why don't you come and walk around on this floor and you can either tell me if it's jello or if it's something i left behind after slipping something to a drink <laughs> it's actually tooth fairy crap that's right well it makes sense though because they eat bones right so they would shit out jello right that's, that's exactly how it I'm works pretty sure that's the process in making jello and if this movie were a bigger thing, I feel like a lot of parents could have fucked around with their kids after this, of like going on to like Jimmy Fallon or whatever. How you know how they have like the whole I ate the Halloween candy bit yeah. that they do on Jimmy Fallon every year? How if they did a tooth fairy poop thing, where like the kid loses his tooth and then they just drop jello leading out of the room or whatever, just to yeah. freak him out. Like, I kind of like that idea anyway. <laughs> do that make the kid question, like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, the tooth fairy shits jello. <laughs> I always forget that whatever you tell a kid, they will believe. <laughs> the tooth fairy comes, eats your tooth, leaves you some money, and then shits jello on its way out. <laughs> That's sort of brilliant. <laughs> it's like one of those things, like, like Christmas. There's people who put out like construction paper and then wet boots and put them in front of the fireplace as like a Santa yeah. trap or whatever. Or do like the gold coins leprechaun trap for St. Patrick's Day or you name it. So Why many... not have something with the tooth fairy? <laughs> just lying jello around. <laughs> Get out your tiny shoes and just stomp some jello shit around the floor. <laughs> That's right. Leave a little bit on the kid's cheek so he thinks oh, yeah. he ate tooth fairy shit. Like you can have in the morning, like, uh, Barry, you need to go brush your teeth. That looks like tooth fairy shit. <laughs> shit in your mouth. Tooth Barry. fairy definitely was checking out what you had coming up next and took a dump <laughs> while they were on your chin. <laughs> Gathering intel. So Abe uses his psychic powers to try and find the creatures. And he brings his hand close to Liz and he senses that she's pregnant. And she's like, I'm not pregnant. And he's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> That's kind of a... I'm a fish man. You have to believe blowing me. Blowing the doors wide open here on her. She's like, no, no, don't do that. So many questions. Like, she's already unhappy with the guy. And now she's like, well, now I got to think about things. <laughs> right. Now she's stuck with him. Hellboy and his fellow agents are suddenly swarmed by the ravenous tooth fairies. And they're these guys vicious, are man. Monsters. Yeah, they're vicious. They occasionally attack. <laughs> Only when it's very convenient to attack. They kind of just like fly around like it's the Harry Potter key scene from Sorcerer's Stone, the first movie. 
mm-hmm. until someone pisses off a key or they grab the other key, the, the key that matters, and then everything else just attacks them. It's like nothing happens at all for the longest time, and then shit happens. Yeah, well, they have to wait for one of the non-main characters to show up so they can attack. <laughs> That's right. Because, like, what is it? It's Abe, Hellboy, Liz, and two unnamed agents. And they Sorry, guys. <laughs> just to make them a little more human. But it's one of those, like, get the expendable guy in here. <laughs> and then they decide to shoot these things with a gun. And for what weird reasons, it works for a little while. Until there's, like, thousands of them. Right. And that's How's when that supposed to work? They were ill-prepared for the situation. <laughs> they really, really were. I get that they're just kind of using whatever they have, but, ooh boy, that's not going to work. No, it is not. Luckily, Liz has fire powers, so she's going to just blow up the entire building, and Hellboy's standing in front of a window. She's like, get away from that window. He's like, nope. <laughs> it's time. She she blows up. He goes flying out the window in front of a group of news reporters. Like, well, guess we're out. Yeah, Jeffrey Tambor's not happy about that. Oh, if we're adding that to the list of things Jeffrey Tambor's unhappy with. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're a secret organization, and Hellboy's just like, hey, I want to get in front of some cameras. That's not ideal. No, it's not. That's not how that should work. While all of this is going on, Prince Nuada and Mr. Wink go visit old King Balor, played by Roy Dotris. Sure. Balor is content to let the truce between humans stand, and his daughter, Nuala, who is Nuada's twin sister, you can tell because their names are only one letter apart, <laughs> which is not confusing at all. Not even a little bit. She's played by Anna Walton, who is uh, an actress. Yep, in this movie. She exists to be on screen sometimes. And she agrees with her dad. She's like, you know, let's uh, let's let this truce with the humans stand. You know, it's been going pretty good for a while. For a long ass time. Everyone seems all hunky dory until Albino Brother just shows up again. Say, remember what I said at the end of that bedtime story? I'm here to fuck shit up. That's right. Do you see these eyebrows? They are permanently in serious position. They do not rise any higher than this. I'm just very serious. Man's like Botoxed up. No emotion. <laughs> he's more angsty than selma blair he is that kind of is like a running theme for this movie though is no emotion just hints of anger just various degrees of it exactly Nuada refuses to back down he's gonna do whatever's necessary to make the magical world safe from humans because he's like they're they have holes in their hearts and they're just gonna keep taking over until we're extinct which means he has to kill his father of course that's the natural progression of things He's got to fight off all of his guards and then stabs old daddy, turning him into cheese or something. I don't know what that's about, because whenever these guys die, they like turn into a statue, but then they also crumble right away. Like immediately. It's kind of like, oh, I'm turning him into paper mache and then putting him out in the rain. <laughs> it's weird yellow rock, too. That's why I said cheese, because that's more convincing, I think. <laughs> I think you might be right. Elves turn into cheese when you stab them. There you go. You learned That's something today. exactly it. Can't wait to talk about Lord of the Rings, the return of the king in a couple months. Oh, boy. We could see if this theory holds true. So now Nuada has the second piece of the crown. He took the one from the auction house. He took the one from the king. Now his twin sister, Nuala, has the third piece. So she runs away while, she, while he's killing the, <laughs> the dad. She keeps a little kind of belt buckle, too. That's, you know, that's where I would hide a crown piece if I had one. And then treating the audience like we're a bunch of dum-dums here, she has to take it off 
just to show us and then put it back on. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, let me make sure move. that I still have the MacGuffin. Yep, it's still here. And this movie doesn't treat us like a dum-dum much later on. It actually treats us like a really smart audience later on. But here, I mean, it's just bashing us over the head with this. Hey, guys, she has the third piece of the crown. Hold on. It's on her belt. Okay, let me... She's going to take it off for you. She's going to show it to the crowd. Everybody sees that it's a real piece of the crown. Now she's going to put it back in the belt. And there we go. Everybody got that. We're not continuing this scene until everybody tells me they've got that. I need a verbal yes. From the audience. It's yes, exit, Guillermo. Exit row rules. <laughs> Due to Hellboy's public shenanigans, Washington sends down a new BPRD agent to watch over him. It's Johan Kraus, played by John Alexander and sometimes James Dodd and voiced by Seth fucking McFarlane. I love Johan Kraus. He's fantastic. He's probably the best part of this movie. I didn't realize in my first watch through that it was Seth McFarlane. I didn't either. And it kind of blew my mind. I read it. I rewatched it and I went, yup, 100% that's him. Oh, yeah. I IMDb'd it in the middle of watching this thing going, holy shit. I had no idea. Yeah. He's a pure ectoplasmic energy being occupying a con- containment suit. And in McFarlaneese, that's, uh, that's a German fart in a scuba suit. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. That's the most perfect way to put that. I have another of what I think is a caped trivia fact. <laughs> I wonder why you think that. Seth MacFarlane had to ADR his lines three separate times during production. The first time, he did the character of Johan Krauss in a Peter Griffin voice. The second time, he did it in his Ted voice, but since that's the same as voice as Peter Griffin, <laughs> Del Toro made him do it a third time in a German accent. It's all completely true. Look it up. It's on IMDb. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I'm going to follow that up with an actual IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. Seth MacFarlane based the voice of Johan Krauss on Jeremy Irons' character from Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's so good. And I love that. Hook, Hook line, line sinker. sinker. That's another movie that we should talk about someday. <laughs> I agree. Krauss inspects the remains of a tooth fairy. He injects it with a small amount of his ectoplasmic energy to temporarily return the creature to life so they can interrogate it. The team learns that the creature comes from the legendary Troll Market, a gathering place for magical creatures. Rumors suggest the troll market might be located under the Brooklyn Bridge, so Krauss is like, okay, let's, let's go for a field trip. And then they do! Armed with special goggles that allow them to see through magical disguises, the team find a fraggle wump. Uh, and a fraggle wump is, looks exactly like you would expect a fraggle wump to look. <laughs> and I'm actually going to turn the rest of this scene over to cinemacats.com. Oh, man. I was hoping that it would be here, but I really wasn't sure. Obvious reasons. (laughs) Oh, it's a very cat-heavy scene. At one point, the team goes looking for the portal to the troll market. They find it by locating a troll known as a Fragglewump, disguised as an old bag woman. She's pushing a cart full of cats, which Liz explains to Manning is what the trolls eat. Sure enough, the lady stops and pulls out one of the cats to have a snack. Hellboy is appalled and wants to stop her, but the others don't agree. Hellboy does step up and stop her from eating the cat. Final musing, crazy cat ladies aren't crazy. They're just hungry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they pretty much looked, like said, yeah, you can elf all you want, I guess. 
if you're hungry. <laughs> you can alpha if you want down. to. You can eat your cats right now. That's right. They're going to say, eat your cats behind. I'd be like, that's <laughs> no, dirty. No, nope, that's inappropriate. Because <laughs> if your friends eat cats, well, I didn't have enough of that to go. I just no. had, to, had to bail halfway through the lyric. It's like a hairball salad. <laughs> Tossing it. Gross. Gross. <laughs> Don't do the sound. <laughs> <laughs> the team threatens the old fraggle wump with a canary because naturally. They're afraid of canaries. They never explain why. They never show any more. They're just like, we got a canary. She's like, all right, I'll do whatever you want. I love that, though. It's insane. And it's fantastic. <laughs> it's the least insane thing that's going to happen for a while in this movie. <laughs> this movie's about to go buck wild. They're like, hey, here's a canary, Fraggle Wump. She's like, I will show you to the secret market. And I love how she just caves, says, thanks for paying the troll toll to get into the boy's hole. <laughs> Off you go. That's that's exactly what she did. Well, they she gets him to the door, and she's like, "I'm not letting you in." So Hellboy <laughs> punches her away, and then Johan possesses the door to open it. Right, and whenever Hellboy punches, you go flying. It should be noted. You go hundred percent. You're gonna go flying, no matter how big you are. You're you're taking a ride. You're getting harnessed up. You're getting pulled across the studio. Oh yeah, you are having a stunt day if it says Hellboy punches. <laughs> Inside the market, Abe spots a hooded figure wearing the same royal seal that he's so good at finding. So he's like, I'm going to follow that person. The hooded figure is none other than Princess Nuala, who arrives at the market's library to receive a cylinder hidden there by her father. Abe follows her in, and, he, and she confronts him. She's like, hey, why are you following me? He's like, I'm not following you. And she's like, follow me, asshole. And she has similar psychic powers to his, so they touch hands and learn about each other. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Uh, strange albino girl, do you want to do hand stuff and get to know each other? <laughs> I like that how when he's looking for the tooth fairies, he has to take the glove off. But in this scene, he keeps the glove on. You gotta, you gotta practice safe hand stuff. That's right. <laughs> with a stranger. <laughs> Why'd you say a stranger? Yeah, I get that they're strangers, but is someone sitting on their other hand and numbing it? And then using that hand in order to do the hand stuff? Because that would be the stranger. Only if you're wearing a glove. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> no glove, no stranger love. Uh, Princess Nuala, quick question for you. Do you want to put on gloves and sit on our hands and see what happens? <laughs> you're being very forward right now, fish man. I apologize. It's a Guillermo del Toro movie and I'm a fish man. This is just what we do. Yep, no, that, that, that tracks. Show you what these gills do, baby girl. Oh, yes. <laughs> but first, touch my gloved hand. I can't breathe out of water, and I can't breathe without you. Ooh, very close to the lyrics of the actual song, but we'll get there. <laughs> That's right. At that moment, Mr. Wink comes crashing into the library and attacks Noella, and Abe tells her to run, and Hellboy's like, hey, luckily I'm here, even though I was just across the market interrogating some other guys. I'm going to fight this big monster for you. He was interrogating the other guys who were clearly withholding information this entire time. Yeah. And he's just like slapping one repeatedly. Just keeps on slapping. The one holding a baby that turns out to actually be a tumor. Which was so good. Such a good he says, gag. oh, nice baby. And the baby's like, I'm not a baby. I'm a tumor. <laughs> it was amazing. It might be my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> it's like you t 
take the classic Arnold Schwarzenegger line and just flip it on its head. Flip it. I am a tumor. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> so Hellboy and Wink fight. They punch each other. They go flying. You know how fights work in this universe now. Right. After punching each other all over the troll market, Hellboy finally defeats Mr. Wink because Mr. Wink's detachable hand on a chain gets caught into the garbage crusher. As you do. As you do. <laughs> he's got this hand that like fires out and then he has to like reel it in like he's fishing with his yeah. own hand. It's like, this is not ideal. It's, it's well, he's a very ancient monster, I think. And he has like a, it is on an actual chain, this fist. And at one point, Hellboy goes over to it and like flicks the chain to see if it's taut. And it's clearly not, but he walks no. away like it clearly is. He's like, oh. Sucks to be you, even though it looks like you could probably get out of this. Bye. Then does not get out of it. And Mr. Wink, even though the line was not taught, he he gets got. Yes, he does. I have another caped trivia fact here. How many got accepted for this thing? This is shocking. Uh, I only got three, I think. Okay. I submitted probably like six or seven. So oh, wow. I really have no idea. Yeah. So this is actually going to be the last of the caped trivia facts that I found. That's probably about right. The sound of the Good Samaritan gun firing was created by rubbing pieces of fruit together. Sound designer Brian Bowen realized this upon eating a continental breakfast at a Holiday Inn Express, and his banana rubbed up against his pineapple. (laughs) He has since started compartmentalizing fruit on his plate as not to frighten people in public with this sound. It's the only responsible thing to do. Really. Really. Yeah, if you find out that rubbing banana on pineapple makes the sound of a giant gun, you gotta stop rubbing banana on pineapple when there's people around. It's important to compartmentalize your meals in general. You don't want to cross the streams ever. You never know what kind of sounds they're going to make. <laughs> you never, ever know. Have you ever heard scrambled eggs rubbing up against a piece of cantaloupe? <laughs> no, but I imagine it sounds just like fish fucking. <laughs> it might. Gamble <Gavilla> Toro <laughs> is putting in his next movie, probably. Pinocchio? Uh, Brian, I'm going to need you to go to. I'm making him Italian and not. Mexican. That's <laughs> on me. But that's where we are now. It might be because I just said Pinocchio. That might be it in my head. <laughs> We're going to have to send you to a Hard Inn Express in order to get more sound effects for my next movie. It's going to be very spicy. <laughs> <laughs> Mamma mia. Oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait. Last time we did that, it was a gunshot sound. We're going to send you to a Comfort Inn <laughs> in Newark, New Jersey. Oh, very different quality of fruit. That's right. I'm not going to say better or worse, just different. When you peel the banana, I'm going to need you to rub up the brown end to the soft part of the apple. Oh, that sounds very dirty. (laughs) Does it? Rub the brown end of the banana against the soft part of the apple? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Italian Guillermo del Toro talking about rubbing fruit together. Fruit erotica by Italian Guillermo del Toro. Oh, wow. I'm with the movie. (laughs) Princess Nuala explains that she has the last piece of her father's crown, and the cylinder from the library contains a map to the location of the Golden Army. Krauss is worried about bringing the princess back to the BPRD, but Hellboy and Abe are like, come on, man. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about it that way. (laughs) Prince Nuada arrives, furious at the loss of Mr. Wink, his, I don't know, friend? His bud? Of of a certain amount of time? We don't really know, because 
he just kind of shows up at the beginning of the movie. He's like, you're here. Do you have the thing? All right, cool. We're best buds. So Prince Nuwata releases a small seed, which Hellboy is like, <laughs> and then it hits water and it grows into a giant tentacled plant creature, a forest elemental. And it looks amazing. Incredible. And I think my favorite part about this is he throws the bean and then all of the main characters turn and watch where the bean goes. And then the bad guy just stands behind the MacGuffin, not reaching for it or anything. He just stands there while they watch the bean grow. It's true. And what's crazy about this also is like Princess Nuella is part of this team yeah. here. And she's not the one who says, hey, don't let that touch water. Yeah, she is. Eventually, oh. like after a, a, an amount of time passes, she says, hey, don't let that touch water. When realistically, <laughs> when she sees the green bean, she should be like, that's a jolly green motherfucker. Don't yeah. let that get anywhere close to that water. That should be an immediate thought. And it is not. Especially if they're twins who are sharing bodies and brains and shit. She yeah, should have right? seen this happening beforehand, in fact. Yeah, she should be like, hey, there's something bean feeling in my hand right now, but it's not my <laughs> hand. So clearly, this guy's got a bean. We got to keep him away from water. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's fucky. Fine. <laughs> this movie's great, but this is fucky, yeah. It's a little bit fucky. Hellboy picks up a giant six-barreled minigun nicknamed Big Baby, which is fun because during the fight with the elemental, he also saves a human baby. He does. There's like a minivan that's parked on the road. Yeah, because- And the of, mom just fucks off and abandons her child. <laughs> she, she's like, ah, there's a giant plant monster. I have to run and forget about my baby. And then in typical 2008 baby fashion- this kid is not in any sort of car seat at all, but in like a backseat bassinet. <laughs> He's like in the basket that the penguin was delivered in. <laughs> right. But then Hellboy grabs this baby and instead of running to the mom, he's like, all right, baby, you ready for some fucking action? <laughs> okay, baby, it's fight time. You're my, you're my sidekick now. <laughs> this is going to be the most action packed moment of your life, baby. We're going to climb a hotel sign. And that's it. <laughs> then, then I'm going to briefly throw you in the air. I'm going to put you on my tail. <laughs> and I'm going to throw you in the air like I'm playing jacks, but with a baby, which is really just the X Games version of jacks. <laughs> Extreme jacks. We play with actual babies named Jack. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, man. Did you see Matt Hoffman throw up that Jack? <laughs> That Jack got so much air. It's too bad he dropped him on the landing. Well, Tony Hawk was trying to do a, a 1080 baby Jack throw. And just, you know, sometimes you biff it. Sometimes you biff it when you're throwing babies and doing spin moves. He's trying. The second round, he'll bring it back. It'll be yeah. fine. The first round, everyone knows you kind of just go a little too far over the edge with it to see if you can right. land the baby Jack. You, you do get at least one mulligan, one Jack mulligan. That sounds like a steakhouse. It does. Jack Mulligans. <laughs> <laughs> the steakhouse you can own if you survive the X Games. Don't worry. All the babies who got all fucked from being dropped in the, the X Games from the Tony Hawks and Bob Burnquist and Matt Hoffman's and others of that generation who I can't think of off the top of my head. <laughs> They're all waiters here at Jack Mulligans. Oh, good. I thought you were going to say they were the steaks. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's really underground steakhouse hey hey did you hear about jack mulligans yeah they take all the babies from the x games jacks 
They serve them. <laughs> Are you saying they got a 2003 Jack? Uh, yeah. That they kept in the cellar? Medium rare. <laughs> oh, man. And then Robin Williams comes out. <laughs> That's not the Jack I was expecting. I was the first Jack, but I got too big. <laughs> they invented the name for the movie, and that's an actual IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> you can just see Rob Williams now. They like gave the new skate boy Sean White as a child this Jack with a pituitary <laughs> disorder, and he just couldn't land the Jack. Couldn't do it. It's a very difficult game. It really is, especially when you're throwing up an adult Jack who's a child. <laughs> And he's just quipping the whole time. <laughs> Significantly more difficult when the baby's over 200 pounds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't throw him as high. You can't do it. You really can't do it. Oh, he just did a kickflip. That's not that exciting. That's not exciting at all. At least he landed it. Nollies are not cool. <laughs> no one's ever gotten laid off a nollie before. It's like being the drummer of a band. Or the bassist of a band. Not the guitarist, not the lead singer. <laughs> it's like being it's like being the theremin player of the band. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants a theremin player because there's no touching involved. No touching. Speaking of Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hellboy saves the human baby from getting crushed and he has to carry it around. Can Prince Nuata like teleport? Because he just ends up on the roof of this building to tell Hellboy, like, hey. You could, you're going to kill him? He's the last of his kind. Be pretty terrible. These humans don't even like you. It's a weird thing because he's just not even fighting Hellboy. He's just hanging out. He's like, I'll let the, the forest elemental take care of this unless you want to kill him. You kind of want to kill him, don't you? You're a bad person. He's just trying to get in his head. I don't know what's happening here. I am unsure. But also he knows if he doesn't kill him, he's going to destroy this part of New York. Right. So it's not even a catch-22. Hellboy does the right thing. Hellboy makes the call. He kills the last elemental to protect the ungrateful humans. And then the rapidly decaying corpse of the giant plant monster covers the street in beautiful plant life. And it is an incredible scene. It is. Still New York underneath it. Let's not forget. Yes. It's just New York. You're just putting a paint job over a piece of shit. <laughs> Don't get fooled. Covered in bloody moss. That's or something. Right. Or whatever that... this bleeds out of. <laughs> Chlorophyll. Chlorophyll. <laughs> That's the word. Just turns all mossy in, in the darkness of New York. This just reminded me that high school biology was a long time ago. Very long ago. <laughs> we both couldn't get to chlorophyll. Chlorophyll. It chlorophylls the streets and then turns into moss. That would have been the joke. Yeah, that would have been it. Oops. Oh, well. <laughs> I guess I, I owe my biology teacher a, a, an apology. I don't even remember her name. <laughs> Oops. Again. Later on, Liz tells Hellboy that he needs to decide whose approval is more important to him, hers or the world's. Because when Hellboy returns the baby, they're like, why'd you put that baby in danger? He's like, I saved the baby. And they're like, you're a monster. Go away. Well, everybody's kind of right. Everybody's kind of wrong here. Because Yes. Why didn't you just give the baby back? He seemed to have that opportunity a few times, and instead he's like, eh, no. This would be more fun if I get <laughs> to play Extreme Jacks. A lot more dramatic if I just take the baby with me. And when he gives the baby back, the mom's like, why did you not give it back? It's like, that's the right answer. Why did you leave it in the car? <laughs> 
while we're throwing stones here, lady. They're throwing jacks. That's right. Liz is like, I'm going to leave for a while because you don't know what, what's going on here. Hellboy, you silly goose. And he's like, ah, crap, Liz is leaving. And there's emotions. <laughs> I guess there are. Or there he should showers be. showers all sadly. He does. While he's showering, Abe and Nuala are hanging out, talking poetry, getting flirty. She mentions that she and her brother share a psychic link and it'll only be a matter of time before he finds her. And Abe is like, nah, we're in Trenton. <laughs> no one ever looks in Trenton. <laughs> Nobody's going to come here. And she's like, all right. So she hides the, the third crown fragment in Abe's poetry book. And then back in the locker room, Johann Krauss tells Hellboy to start following orders and warns him that if the two had a fight, Krauss would probably win by exploiting Hellboy's biggest weakness, his temper. And this leads to the best scene of the movie? <laughs> sure. How Hellboy's temper does get the best of it, and he punches Johann Krauss in the head, and it breaks open the, the dome of the costume or whatever it is, and the gas just leaks out. And Hellboy's like, oh, shit, I killed him. And then Krauss uses his ectoplasmic energy to repeatedly smash Hellboy in the face with the lockers. It's amazing. It's so good. This is a very fun scene. It's the most fun scene. It is just Hellboy drinking his Tecate, getting smashed in the face with a locker by Seth MacFarlane. I am so happy you brought up the Tecate. <laughs> it was egregious. Yeah, it was. <laughs> How he takes a sip with his giant red hand and the word Tecate is just there and he goes, ah. Oh, wait, let me make sure I angle the logo toward the camera. This is great Mexican beer. <laughs> I think my favorite part is after Johan has beat up Hellboy with locker doors, he just kind of reforms into a gas man and just saunters away just all smug. <laughs> like, where are you going? <laughs> she's like, all right, I'm out of here walking so smug. <laughs> there is a, a definitive saunter. <laughs> to the way he walks. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. So Hellboy, fresh from his ass kicking, goes to meet up with Abe, who's listening to a collection of love songs. And Hellboy realizes in that moment that Abe has fallen for the princess because it hasn't been super obvious the whole time. <laughs> right. So the two of them get drunk together and sing some Barry Manilow. It's a wonderful scene. It is. It really is. Dave, I have the last of... The actual IMDb trivia facts that I pulled for this movie. That's a bit shocking because we got a little bit to go. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt any of the uh, the third act. Fair enough. I'm going to read this one as written because I'm, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what it means. If it helps, do it in Italian accent. It's a lot of fun to do. <laughs> All right. This had Hellboy's biggest opening weekend until Pacific Rim. <laughs> Does it confuse Hellboy and Guillermo del Toro? I have no idea. It's just Hellboy's biggest opening weekend until Pacific Rim. Okay. I guess Pacific Rim was a bigger Hellboy opening weekend. I guess so. The more you know. It's an actual fact, though. Yes, it is. Noella was right, and Nuada finds the BPRD, breaks in, steals a map to the Golden Army, and abducts Noella. And he tells the team that if they bring the third crown piece to the army's location, he will spare their lives and release Noella. And then he and Hellboy get in a fight, but Hellboy's, you know, pretty drunk. He is pretty drunk. And I like how you have Hellboy walk in, how he's surrounded by all the BPRD folks. And he looks like he's ready to kick some ass. Yeah. 
But then I love how he just stumbles right away. He, <laughs> he trips down the steps and it's like, oh yeah, he has been drinking a lot of Tecate. It's a lot of Tecate. The two of them fight for a while, but Nuada ends up stabbing the drunken Hellboy with an enchanted spear. And the spearhead can't be removed from Hellboy's chest. Every time they attempt to pull it out, it forces the spearhead closer to his heart. It's not ideal for the Hellboy. not ideal at all. But also, sort of safe if you don't just try to pull it out. Right, just, just leave it in there. Hellboy tells Liz that she is more important than anything else in his life. Meanwhile, Abe finds the third crown piece in his book. So while the team is analyzing the remains of King Balor's map, it tells them that the Golden Army is located in Northern Ireland. Liz wants to take Hellboy there to heal him, but Manning and Kraus are like, hey, maybe we just let him die so what's-his-name doesn't awaken the Golden Army and wipe out all humans. Which is a solid plan, also. It is, but it's also kind of a dick to Hellboy. But Hellboy's kind of been a dick to everybody. Right, so... <laughs> Again, it's like the life of one you have dude a choice here versus the life of all the dudes. I know which one I'm picking there. Yeah, that, that's um as far as like the trolley situations go, that one's an easy pick. It's the easiest pick, in fact. Kill one dickhead or all humans. Hmm. Or all the dickheads. Hmm. Abe and Liz decide to take Hellboy without approval, desperate to heal their friend. But Abe really has his own motive because he wants to give Nuada the crown piece so that he'll release Nuela. Johan confronts them while they're, they're getting ready to leave, and he's like, hey, you guys can't leave. I'm by the books, Mr. Krause. And then he surprisingly is like, actually, I had a love once too, so I'm going to come with you. Okay, this scene was pointless. Could have just said you come with us the whole time. <laughs> hey, but all right. did you get authorization for that plane? No? All right, let's fucking go. <laughs> if you had, I wasn't feeling like playing by the rules this time. So let's go find a different plane to knock it authorization for so I feel like a badass. Wild card, bitches. That's right. (laughs) In Ireland, the group find a goblin, played by John Alexander, who looks like if Sid from Toy Story got a hold of Shrek in a skateboard. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) The goblin offers to lead them to the Golden Army in exchange for the spearhead. And they're like, whoa, the spearhead is very much lodged in his chest. And if we try to get it out, it's going to kill him. He's like, oh, I got a guy for that. Of course you do. And the goblin brings them before the Angel of Death, also played by Doug fucking Jones. Because of course it is. He's terrific. He's amazing. Despite the angel's warnings that Hellboy's survival will eventually bring about the destruction of Earth and that Liz will suffer most of all, Liz is like, yeah, I don't care. I want him to be alive. So the angel removes the spearhead and tells Liz to give Hellboy a, quote, reason to live. So she finally tells him that he's going to be a father. And Hellboy stands up, fully recovered from his, from his wound, but very awestruck upon finding out Liz's news. I'm the father now. Yeah. Time to stop being such a dickhead. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Their goblin guide leads the group to the central chamber of the Golden Army, where Prince Nuada waits with his hostage. Abe immediately gives up the last crown piece. He's just like, here, take it. And everybody's like, no. Now, here's the thing. When Brian says he immediately gives up the crown piece, Brian is not exaggerating <laughs> at all. Like the rest they of the team isn't even up the steps. And he has just thrown this thing across the room He's like, without Here, saying a word. You want this? Give me back the princess. But obviously the prince is like, all right, well, now I'm going to kill you all. Ah, double crossed by the bad guy who saw it coming. Everybody but Abe. Everybody but Abe. He's got hard gills, man. 
That's all he cares about right now. Is that how fish do it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. Just the most erect gills. They just start rubbing gills up against each other. And that makes little fish. It's kind of like that old uh, instrument that you had in like elementary school that was like fish shaped that had the ridges that oh, you yeah. ran the stick across. Yeah. And I feel like that just simulates fish sex. Is that probably. what we were supposed to be learning? I think so. It's been a long time since elementary school biology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember that if you rub certain things together, they make interesting sounds. So That's right. Mostly fruit-based things. Rub a fruit against a fish, you get baby fish, maybe. Who knows? It'll sure sound like it. Ben Burt is turning over in his grave. <laughs> and he's not even dead yet. He's he just, preparing he for just it. Hangs he's out. dug a grave. <laughs> <laughs> just to roll around in it at what Brian said. <laughs> just hanging out in my, my future grave site, <laughs> rolling right. around. That's what I do on weekends. That would be the most emo thing in the world. <laughs> this is where I'm going to be buried. I'm just going to roll around in my grave for a while. What's the point of even getting an apartment with these rent prices when I have a perfectly good grave right here? <laughs> I'm going to end up in it for eternity anyway. I might as well use it. I've already picked out my plot. What's the point of not rolling around in my own grave? <laughs> I can see some like YouTuber going to a cemetery and purchasing a plot like you could do while you're alive. Yeah. And he's purchased a plot, digs a hole, and just leaves it wide open so that he can literally roll around in it for likes <laughs> whenever people say dumb shit on the internet. I'm amazed that that doesn't already exist, if it, it might actually. <laughs> yeah, tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm not going to start Googling it because I already get some pretty weird targeted ads, but. This is Logan Paul. Look at me roll around in my grave, and this is my dick. All right. I guess he just made another million dollars for that. This is Jake Paul. Look at him roll around in the grave, and there's his dick. And we touch dicks. <laughs> We're doing it. Do you like us yet? <laughs> if we keep doing this, it's going to make a weird sound. Now you see, one of us is circumcised, and the other isn't. <laughs> oh, no. That's not. That's a Property Brothers thing. <laughs> that's not a Paul thing. From last week tonight? <laughs> yeah. It's the only reason I learned it. You learn some weird things that stick with you in that. It's not one of those like, man, I can't believe the sheriffs work that way. <laughs> or that subways are, are like that or whatever. It's like one of the property brothers isn't circumcised. That's what stuck that episode. Still not sure that was real. Doesn't matter. It is now. It's out there. That's right. It was on a news program. That's right. An Emmy winning news program. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure they ended the same episode with like an entire thing with subway <laughs> the korean subway drama and like at the end of it, it's like oh any likenesses in this are not meant to be that or whatever it's like uh all people in this are either circumcised or uncircumcised we didn't mean to out anyone <laughs> as having a, a turtleneck moving on because that's what he says in the show it's true Prince Nuada puts together the entire crown and awakens the Golden Army. And the team has to fight off these golden mechanical soldiers. And they seem to be kicking some ass. But then it turns out that the golden soldiers can just kind of pull their pieces back together and reanimate. So they're basically unstoppable. I love this because they're supposed to be indestructible. And then Hellboy gets all cocky saying, oh, they're very destructible. Super destructible. And then uh, it turns out, no, they are indestructible, in fact. Because they could just... Piece themselves back together. I really like when Krauss uh, uses his his ectoplasm, whatever, and like possesses one, and he turns blue. So it's like rock'em sock'em robots. He could just keep doing that for forever, but it's, he just goes back into the suit. 
That's right. <laughs> Seems like a better idea, I guess. Hellboy comes up with an idea. He remembers this childhood bedtime story, and he challenges Prince Nuada for the right to control the army. And Nuada's like, you can't do that. You're not royal. And, and Nuada's like, actually, he's born of royal blood. He is Anung Un Rama, the son of the fallen one. So looks like you two better get to challenging. It's a good time for him to remember this story that he remembered earlier on. But now it's like, all oh, coming back, all coming back to him now. I think the most ridiculous part about him suddenly remembering is that he just whispers, howdy doody. Howdy <laughs> doody. Because <laughs> that's the show he was watching when his father was like, Shh, go to bed. And he's like, oh, our story. Oh, God. Howdy doody. So perfect. Hellboy fights against the prince around the chamber of giant rotating gears, which is actually pretty neat. It is pretty neat. He keeps hiding in these gears and popping up whenever he feels fit. Yeah. And the prince just can't find him. He's just like, ah, he was on that gear that's moving in one direction. I, I can't seem to figure out where he went. <laughs> We've all had that puzzle before. It can get a little tricky. Gears. How do they work? They're actually not that complicated. No, they, they just rotate. But in this, the most complicated Super thing complicated. Ever existed. Hellboy gains the upper hand, but he refuses to kill the prince because Abe was like, hey, don't kill the prince because then you'll kill the princess too. He's like, all right, I won't do that. So he's, you know, he's got the prince at his own spear point or something like that. Yeah, he gets the spear. He holds it against the prince's neck. And the prince is like, oh, you're going to have to kill me because I'm not giving up. And Hellboy's like, I won. I'm going to turn my back on you and walk away. Kind of a silly thing to do. As he's walking away, Nuada stands up, pulls out a, a knife, and he's about to stab Hellboy in the back. But then he suddenly collapses with a strange pain in his chest. And of course, we pan over to Nuela, who has stabbed herself in the heart to stop her brother. But I love this, because of the audience, you know exactly what has happened the yes. second he stops, and it takes them a while to pan over to her. Yeah. So, it's very for well all the amount of idiocy that they treated us with, the audience, earlier in this movie, they've now just kind of treated us like a smart <laughs> audience, that we put this together that this was going to happen. Yeah, well, well they, they set happen. us up real good by showing us the MacGuffin in the belt. And they're like, all right, yeah. so now we know. All right, oh, we've got a cut on the cheek, and then she got one. So, like, so we've established some stakes here, and now we're just going to trust you with that information. So when this guy goes, Ugh, you're going to be like, oh, she did it. She's going to cheese them both. And they, they both turned into solid blocks of Limburger. You ever watch a fish man hold a woman as she turns to cheese? <laughs> I have. Yeah, Abe goes to Noela's side and confesses his feelings to her before she dies, but not like with words, with gloved hands. <laughs> He's like, I never got to tell you how I feel. She's like, touch my hand. And then she turns to cheese. It's not great. It's, uh, it's not what you want. It's not ideal for Abe, that's for sure. With Prince Noela dead, Hellboy is the winner of the challenge. He picks up the crown, and he's like, all this power. And Liz is like, nope. And she takes it from him, and she melts it with her hands. Which is also ballsy, because what if that was just, like, the only controller? Like, destroying it means that there's no off switch anymore. Right? It's like, she didn't stop to think of that. No, she, she was like, it would have been a lot smarter to be like, hey, Hellboy, why don't you put this crown on? Tell these guys to shut off, then I'll melt it. Right. And, but nope. Instead, all the angst. Just, active golden army surrounding them. And she's like, I'm going to melt this crown right now and hope for the best. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to fling a baby in the air and start spinning. That's it. As the crown melts in the ground, the golden army goes back into hibernation, presumably forever. 
especially because this movie's not going to get a sequel. <laughs> Presumably, yes. Manning and the other BPRD agents have caught up with the team, and he's like, "Hey, I need an explanation. What the hell are you? What the hell's going on in there?" And Hellboy, Abe, and Liz all just hand over their belts, resigning from the BPRD. They're like, "Nope, we're done. We we did the thing. We quit." And Manning asks Kraus for help. He's like, uh, "Can you get them to to be sensible here?" And Kraus is like, "I also quit." That's not what he says. What does he say? You could suck my ectoplasmic Schweinstucker. That's right. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And if you if you want to know more about Schweinstuckers, go listen to our Patreon episode on Young Frankenstein. That's right. <laughs> Hellboy suggests that he and Liz get a place of their own to raise their new baby. And Liz stops him and says, babies, holding up two fingers. And Hellboy looks directly into the camera and shrugs, going, oh boy. And th- the camera actually just freezes on him. Yeah. And that is how we end the movie. It's ridiculous. He goes, two jacks? <laughs> and freeze frame like it's the end of the breakfast club. <laughs> but a, a lot less has happened. <laughs> I feel like emotionally. Right? There's there's no fist pump. He just kind of turns slightly with a bewildered look on his face and then, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> and that is Hellboy 2, the Golden Army from 2008, directed by Guillermo del fucking Toro. Movie's wild. I really like it. It's a movie. <laughs> I do too. You're never bored. That's for sure. You are never bored, and everything that's happening on screen is so interesting to look at because visually, oh, it's incredible, it's unreal. The man is a master of the visual arts. Like the first Hellboy had a lot of really cool visual effects to it. Yeah, there was a lot of imagination there, but in this, they just turn Guillermo del Toro loose. Yeah, well, I think doing Pan's Labyrinth between the two movies, he was like, "All right, I can fuck around a little bit now. Let's let's go wild." If anything, he fucked around a little bit with Pan's Labyrinth, and this he fucked around a lot of it. Exactly. I think he he gained his his sea legs on Pan's Labyrinth, and he's like, all right, let's go buck wild and Hellboy 2. And then he did. He really did. And this movie was looked at as one of the best comic book movies out there for not that long, because Iron Man came around. But Iron Man also didn't have like the same status that it carries now when it came out. When it first came out, no. It was just a so, pretty neat movie. Right, so this was actually held in really, really high regard for, for a, a minute, little yeah. while until obviously it kind of got overshadowed over and over and over and over again. As and now it's just kind of an afterthought. Things that happen in the comic book movie industry. That's right. <laughs> As we're learning now in this phase, whatever we're in, it's really just the second generation of the MCU that we're in. Basically, And the yeah. ever-evolving DC adaptations of those characters. So it's just it's constantly getting... Rewritten. All that the should time. be the actual name of their universe. <laughs> the ever changing world of <laughs> Detective Comics comics. And their characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm glad we both like this one. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an entertaining way to spend exactly two hours. Which is nice when it's yes. exactly two hours. Because whenever you see like that, oh, it's two hours, one minute, you're like, oh god, over two hours. Oh man. That, <laughs> that extra minute's that gonna extra kill minute's me. gonna kill me. Yeah. Critically. How do you think this thing did? I have no idea. I'm going to say 75. You should have said 86. Nice. You would have been right. I would have been. But audience score is 71%. Oh, okay. Roger Ebert saw this movie and he gave it three and a half out of four stars. Wow. He said, 
Imagine the Forges of Hell crossed with the extraterrestrial saloon of Tatooine, and you have a notion of Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy to the Golden Army. In every way, the equal of his original Hellboy, although perhaps a little noisier, it's another celebration of his love for bizarre fantasy and diabolical machines. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That kind of nailed it, didn't it? It really did. He goes on to say, and once again, a strong performance by Ron Perlman as Hellboy. Yeah, well. (laughs) He made some facial movements underneath all of that prosthetics. Right. He says, yes, he's CGI for the most part, but his face and voice and movements inhabit the screen figure and make him one of the great comic heroes. Del Toro, who preceded Hellboy 2 with Pan's Labyrinth, and the underrated Blade 2 is warming up now for Doctor Strange and The Hobbit. He has an endlessly inventive imagination, understands how legends work, why they entertain us, and that they sometimes stand for something. For love, for example. Now, Brian's jaw is wide open at a certain word that was in there. I forgot that he was attached to Doctor Strange. Uh-huh, and this is pre-MCU. That would have been wild. That would have been too much. That would have been absolutely insane. Like, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was a lot. It, oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a lot of Sam Raimi, and it was a lot. And Sam Raimi's a very visual director with his own style. Yes. And Guillermo del Toro pretty much sits on the face of Sam Raimi when it comes to having <laughs> his own <laughs> visual inventiveness and style. Um, I don't want to picture that, but you, you no, forced my hand. No, 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 go ahead and picture that. You forced my hand. Ah, oh. oh, where's your buddy Bruce Campbell now? <laughs> Sam Raimi just getting a face full of Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of getting a face full of Guillermo del Toro, our good buddies on Letterboxd really like this movie. Oh, good. So there's not much to say outside of from February 20th, 2022. More superhero filmmakers should have figured out at this point that they just need to write scenes where the protagonists just get drunk and chill. It's like instant characterization, just add water. Yeah, uh, they would duplicate that in Iron Man 2. And they would duplicate that in Avengers 8 of Ultron. Yep. It's a good formula. It's a great formula. (laughs) But since we had trolls in this movie, I felt it was only natural to go see what the trolls on Amazon.com had to say. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. And once again, people really like this movie. Yeah. Okay. Of course. It's a good movie. Because 80% are five star and only 1% are one star. And there aren't that many to start. But from April 25th, 2022, Ron Perlman's a douchebag. And the movie wasn't that good. (laughs) Sounds like they have some other issues they need to work through. (laughs) They might. And they might want to go into counseling with this person who, from September 4th, 2019, wrote, title, Ron is a shithead. (laughs) Review? It just says, Rin. R-I-N. I don't know what that means. But Rin. That was a weird running theme of Ron Perlman being a shithead. Wow. And a douchebag. He must have tweeted something that a lot of people didn't like. They're like, we're going to review bomb Hellboy. <laughs> I guess so. This is your punishment. The movie's already out. You're not going to change been out anything. It's 11 years. What are you doing? <laughs> do you want to give this thing a super stuff score? Yeah, let's do that. But first... For another edition of the K Podcast, the Atar. Dave, I'm going to need you to get out your copy of I Forced a Bot to Write This Book by Keaton Patty. 
it's a good thing I always keep my copy by just in case. <laughs> Close by, it's always at the ready. You never yeah, know. Because this week's edition of Cape Podcasters Theater is only available in the book. Another reason you should pick it up. Keaton Patty forced a bot to watch a thousand hours of army recruitment ads and then write an army recruitment ad of its own. This is the first page. Dave, you're going to be doing the uh, the descriptions, the action script once again, and I'm going to be doing the part <laughs> of World War Voice. These are a little unfair because you're the one who plans this, and this is the first time I'm seeing it. Um, I'm terrified, as always. <laughs> It'll be fun. Are you ready? I am ready. Army recruitment ad. Action. Exterior battlefield of the sand war. Tanks fire patriotism in a hot foreign land while hot domestic soldiers march with their guns aimed at terrorism. Soldiers aren't born. They're made when a teenager puts on big boots. A helicopter fires a flag at a city that looks un-American. The flag explodes and the city learns about politics. Do you have what it takes to be in the army? It takes guts. It takes going to army.com and clicking join button. It <laughs> takes hating the Navy. We see pre-soldiers at basic training. They climb ropes. They pull ropes. They shoot at ropes. Ropes are clearly the enemy. We are a band of brothers and our instruments hurt. All our songs blow up. A woman camouflaged to look like a man uses a computer to email a grenade to northmost Korea. <laughs> it works so well. We need you. There's strength in numbers. Only numbers. Letters are bad. Do not trust any letters. A line graph implies the letters of the alphabet caused the Civil War. <laughs> Another implies the Navy let it happen. Army people are leaders. An army boy leads a group of soldiers into a foxhole. The hole's fox does not want them there. Too bad for the fox. Army people are warriors. Holding rifles, a troop of military kicks down a house door. Inside, they kick down more insurgent doors. The doors were protecting hundreds of ropes. <laughs> the enemy is doors and ropes. Army people are eagles of bravery. An eagle, America's bald bird, flies into the sun. The sun explodes and the Navy is blamed. Text appears. Army, the Air Force of the ground, now hiring. <laughs> that is terrific. <laughs> barely related to the movie in any way other than you know humans and armies right how do they work <laughs> let's give this thing a super stuff score start off with story motivation there's a MacGuffin crown that uh starts up a MacGuffin army yep gotta stop the bad man from from taking over uh killing all humans very light character development happens along the way <laughs> extremely light character development this is kind of a boring uh story told in a visually interesting way just trying to stop the albino man from pulling a bender i'm gonna go with a 0. 0.25 to Point, acknowledge that it's there 0. 0.25 there's enough of a story that there is a movie <laughs> that's a great way to put it <laughs> hero hellboy he question mark he's he's there he does stuff he, he betrays orders often and almost gets killed and then others have to save him he does save the day-ish, yeah. but then he also needs the day saved by the sister killing herself. Right. Because he couldn't do the thing, the, the fight to the death, he couldn't do the death part. Mostly because he was obeying the wishes of his friend. The friend who fucked over the entire world. Right. By giving the bad guy the hey, only thing that he needed. When you touch hands with an albino woman... <laughs> 
<laughs> All bets are off. <laughs> that would so mess up. The brother's like, I felt it too, you know. <laughs> you know, technically, you're also <laughs> in love with me. <laughs> Different movie. I'm, I'm going to go uh, uh, 0.25 again. He's yeah. there. He saves the day. He's there, though, most importantly. <laughs> right. He he has character development because all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to follow rules and be a good dad maybe someday. <laughs> right. Villains. I like them. I do too. As much as we ripped on him for only having one expression and being an albino boy who plays in the sewers. <laughs> he trained really hard in the sewers and then he's just relentless in his quest for killing all humans. Again. He really is relentless except for like the one scene where he decides he's just going to toy with the people that he needs the thing from. Right, he's just going to watch this high school science biology project destroy <laughs> New York instead of, you know, doing the thing. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm going to unleash a jelly green giant and then just watch for a while because it's fun for me. 0.75 for watching. 0.75 for watching. <laughs> uh, parents or teamwork? I think we have to go teamwork on this one. I think we have to go teamwork on this one. And there is quite a bit of teamwork. Until, you know, Doug Jones... Decides he's going <laughs> right. to betray the entire world for the love of a woman he met yesterday. Well, yeah, I mean. But they touched hands, so. Maybe he's got, like, the memory of a goldfish. And that's, he's like, I'm going to forget you. Oh, in, like, yeah. another day if I don't just keep loving you. I that's have to why keep... I have a library boy who has to bring my books around with me. <laughs> so I remember things. I have to keep touching your hand or I'll forget who you are and I'll never feel this feeling again. But I also won't remember <laughs> what this feeling was. So I don't know if that's a, that big of a deal. He has no idea. And for that reason. I kind of want to go like a 0. 0.25. 0. 0.25, yeah. I mean, Hellboy and, and Kraus are at odds the whole time. Liz is miserable the entire movie. She's miserable the entirety of this movie. She's like, I just want to leave. And Hellboy's like, no, stick around for like one more scene. And he keeps doing it every scene. <laughs> it gets a little old, doesn't it? 0. 0.25 for teamwork. Female characters, of which there are two. It's Liz and the princess. There are two and... I don't think they ever even talk to each other. I don't think they do. They don't even acknowledge each other for the most part. No. So we don't even pass the Bechdel test on this one. No, we don't. And Liz is just really angsty and Nuella saves the day by killing herself. She is the one who saves the day, though. Yeah, let's go 0.25 for her. Okay. She is fine. Next up is setting. We're in a lot of places here. Everywhere looks awesome. Every single place looks incredible. Um, I really like the BPRD headquarters. I do, too. It's got a really cool look inside because there's a lot of different looks yeah. that you get in it. How sometimes it's a science lab, sometimes it's a home and like a dormitory and you have that big library too. It looks awesome. It's really cool. Really well done. And the entire cave with the golden army at the end is awesome. How it like rises out of a giant rock monster thing. <laughs> rock or man with the opening chest cavity. Fuck it. I want to go 1-5 for this one. I, I really like it I quite agree. a bit. I agree. 1-5 for setting. Style and tone. Probably a two. Probably a two. I think we could probably just leave it at that. If you want to fight us on so. it, send us an email. Please do. Uh, visually, there are not a lot of comic book movies like this. No. No. And, you know, Guillermo del Toro always just full sends it. So. I bring it every time. <laughs> That's a spicy movie. <laughs> That's what he says. That's what he got his Academy Award for Best Director for fish fucking. <laughs> That's what he said. This movie was nominated for uh, Best Makeup. As it should have been. Yeah, so. Because as much CGI is in this movie, there's a lot of practical a ton in it as well. of practical. And it works. It looks great. So yeah, boom. Two for style and tone. 
Let's talk about music. I was yes. surprised. Please, let's talk about music. I was very surprised that this was Daniel F. Elfman. It is him. Because I didn't even notice the music the first time through. I didn't either. And it blew my mind when I saw his name in the credits, and I went, well, that's going to get a one and probably not much more. It's like, yeah, it's like, all right, we love Danny, but he might have phoned this one in. I do believe he did. <laughs> but as per law... It is. It's written. It's a one. It's in the caped Bible. That's right. <laughs> a one for music because he's Danny Elfman. That's all he needs to be. One-liners. There's not a lot. There's not a lot. I, I do like Howdy Doody. Suck my ectoplasmic Schweinstucker. Of course. It's very good. I think that Hellboy's Oh Crap is really good. Yes. Oh Crap. Let's go 0.25. 0.25 to acknowledge that they did try to do one-liners. They tried it and they got close enough yeah. to something. Final category is impact on the genre. It's a little tricky because it did not get the third movie. Right. Even though it got rebooted 10 years later, 11 years 11 later, years whatever later, it was. Something like that. But it also did show that you could put a big name director behind something that you wouldn't expect them to be behind. Right. That, that's true. Del Toro at this point is coming off of Pan's Labyrinth. As we said, he had done the first Hellboy, so he was kind of already built in as this director of the, of the sequel when it came out. That's fine. Yeah. But I feel like he could have said no. Like, that's how much pull he had after Pan's Labyrinth. That's true. Which was like the darling movie of 2006. Yeah. And the movies he turned down to do Hellboy 2 were Halo, which ended up never coming out, I Am Legend, One Missed Call, and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So this was... Probably a bit more of a passion project than anything. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, they met several times talking about doing the third one, but they just no studios would pick it up. Well, why would they? This movie costs $85 million to make, and it only made $168 million. So right. it did double up, but that's sometimes not good enough. Right. It made more money in, with foreign audiences than it did domestically, which is always an uphill battle when you're trying to get funding from a production studio. I think... A point five isn't too far off. Yeah, I mean the movie's held in high regard. Still, too. still amongst the comic book up. movie community. So yeah, I think a point five is very fair. It very, very much holds up. It does. I mean, it's just so entertaining. It's nonstop action. There's always something great to look at on the screen. It's it's well done. Well, besides creepy teenage Hellboy. Right, right. Once you get past the opening scene, <laughs> it's terrifying. And I still have nightmares. <laughs> I'm never going to sleep ever again. That is going to give Hellboy 2 The Golden Army a final score of 7. I'm very okay with that. Yeah, that feels right, if a little low. I completely agree with you, but maybe that's an okay spot because of what we're going to be talking about next week. <laughs> next week's a doozy. It is a doozy. Me and Brian went back and forth trying to figure out which of this franchise we wanted to talk about? <laughs> We've talked about two of them already, but there's still two more. One that is famously panned, and then one that's a little less famously panned. Now, which one's which is the real question? <laughs> well, uh, the 2015 version, the director himself said, I'm sorry for this movie. So I'm going to say right. that's the- and that would be- the director, Josh Trank. Josh Trank, exactly, has apologized for the 2015 version of said movie. I'm just going to tell you, uh, we're going to be talking about 1994's 
basically unreleased Fantastic Four. The movie that was only made so that they could keep the filmmaking option for the Fantastic Four. And it was so bad that they never released it. And the only copies that exist are bootlegged. Amazing. And more importantly, on YouTube. On YouTube for your free viewing pleasure. I cannot wait to talk about this one. I am so excited to finally watch this movie. Just to give everybody a hint, I've never watched it before, but I've heard that in order to get Mr. Fantastic's arms to get all stretchy, they just put a long sleeve on a pole. (laughs) So I'm going to leave it at that because that's all I've heard. Oh, man. I'm so excited. Next week, 1994's Fantastic Four. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon. Last month, we did Big Fish. This month, we're doing Witness. I cannot wait, man. Starring Harrison Ford. If you have any questions or comments, you can email them to katepodcasters at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on our social media at katepodcasters, especially on Facebook, where we always put up a post on recording day asking for your questions and comments. And we got a bunch this time. All right. Christian Bard asks... How many characters are Legolas in this movie? Also, <laughs> why can't they surf on a shield? <sighs> you just, you just want to hurt me? Is that what this is? <laughs> I think he might. And uh, Christian, high five. Well played, sir. <laughs> There's at least two Legoli in this movie. That's right. <laughs> and they're twins. So uh, That was the only thing missing from this movie was some uh, shield surfing. Some shield surfing. Unfortunately. Yeah. They tried with the gears, but it's just not the same. It's not the same. The ginger skull Dave Novak writes in. Ahoy hoy. It's a it's only it's very quick. No. Don't make fun of him. He, he typed a fast one this time. Well, I rescind my ahoy hoy. He asks, at what point does Hellboy become Hellman? Oh, it's when he stops goofing around, doing all this demon hunting bullshit. He takes over the family business and starts making mayonnaise. <laughs> I was waiting for a mayonnaise joke. <laughs> it's the only way to go with that. It really is. Stop being a dinosaur and get a job. Right, a mayonnaise job. (laughs) Phil Hudson Hawkins writes in and asks, can we retroactively recast Princess Nuella with Callista Flockhart? I feel like Yellow Del Toro (laughs) wanted Callista Flockhart and the studios were all like, we've got a Callista Flockhart at home. (laughs) They do look strikingly similar. And what else has Amanda Walton done, or Anna Walton, that's her name. I looked it up, and I don't remember any of it. So, she's, she's done all that. She's most known for on your career. Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. So, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, uh, uh, Callista Flockhart would have been a great choice. I completely agree. Speaking of Harrison Ford. <laughs> and the last one I have is from Jeff Miners. He asks, what movie would you like to see Del Toro remake? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm actually... Very, I'd be very curious to see his version of Lord of the Rings because I know that he was attached to it at one point. Maybe he should have done The Hobbit and just like done the one and just Maybe done like it as a four one hour movie. long movie, yeah, and just leave it. I would have been curious to see that take on. I it. probably wouldn't have seen it though. Um, I, now I can't stop thinking about his Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's going to be on the brain for forever. Yeah, and, and now I'm that's just, okay. Every Marvel movie would be like, what would this movie be like if Guillermo del Toro directed it? It makes me like curious. Would he ever do? a Doctor Strange in the future? Or would he ever do an MCU movie even? I feel like... Would he return for Blade again? That's a good point. I don't think he would. No, I don't think so but either. I-, I would be curious what property could handle him because he's a lot. I mean, we- we've already shown that 
Sam Raimi could Sam Raimi all over the MCU. So that's a good point. Interesting question. So we don't want to see him remake anything. We want to see him do a Doctor Strange, though. Yeah. Any anything though with with fantastical beasts, but not the actual Fantastic Beasts franchise. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> fantastical beasts. I don't care where to find. Exactly. Everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for writing in. Brian, do you have anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for 1994's Fantastic Four, which you can watch on YouTube. We'll post the link. That's right. Same pod time. Same pod. That's a wrap. Uh-huh.